31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour-Engel. Claudine Guérin, 31,664. The birthday. Today is a day in late April 1943. And Claudine Guérin will soon turn 18, on the 1st of May. But she is exhausted. She needs to visit the river. She isn't so concerned about joining the river. She had been there once, and she survived. Yet this time is different. This time, she didn't warn the other 31,000. Back in December 1941, Claudine was 16 and studied in a high school in Paris. On the 1st of December, her mother was arrested by the police for communist activities. Claudine was distraught. Her father had already been a prisoner in Germany. Her mother was all she had left. Now, she was alone. She kept on going to school. It was a good cover for meeting with her second family, the Resistance. At only 16, she was already transporting leaflets, papers. The police doesn't suspect a 17 years old as much as an adult. Yet Claudine's name came out during the Piquant investigation. André and Germaine Piquant were longtime family friends, and Claudine wrote a letter to them, which was found by the police. Claudine was arrested, along with them, and also Mai and George Politzer. Charlotte Delbo and George Dudache, Daniel Casanova, de Solomons, Marie-Claude Vaillant-Couturier, and so many more. To make matters worse, the police came to arrest Claudine directly at her school. It was a truly odd moment. She expected the other teenagers to do something to help her. None of that happened. She felt judged. The director of the school told her that if she was to be released, she would not be welcomed anymore. So Claudine went to jail. She was interrogated. She was beaten. She said nothing. She gave nothing away. She was in a single jail, on her own. After a while, she learned to communicate with the other prisoners through the pipe system. She learned to know more about her new family, those who would become, like her, the 31,000. She also learned to listen to all of the different sounds of a prison, the boots of the guards, the confused walk of the new prisoners, the dragging of the tortured, and finally, the confident walk of the men who were about to get shot. When they heard that walk, she, along with the other women, would sing to pay their respects, to give energy. Even in prison, Claudine wanted to keep a high spirit, learn, live, love. She met a boy, they fell in love. They talked about the future, what they would do once they were free. They never met, they only talked through a pipe, got to know each other this way. One day, he disappeared, never to be seen again. The last thing she heard 
it was that infamous confident walk of a man on his way to execution. The woman sang once more. Claudine learned heartbreak and loss in prison. Her family was with her though, the 31,000. On the 1st of May 1942, all the women started singing at the windows of the prison. They sang because it was Claudine's birthday. She turned 17. Like Rosa Flock and Simone Sampe, Claudine was the youngest of the group. They were treated like if they were the 31,000's daughters. In August, Claudine and the others were transferred in Romainville. It was still a camp, yet now they weren't in separate cells anymore. Claudine could assist to the many classes, French, math, geography, history, English, German. She didn't want to be too late in her studies. She wanted to join university as soon as possible, once out of Romainville. To the 31,000, Claudine was a cheerful girl. Nothing could break her spirit. Birkenau was a true shock. Yet the 31,000 shielded Claudine and the youngest woman as best they could. When Typhus appeared in the camp, Claudine was infected. She had no choice but going to the Riviera, but she had warned the 31,000. They came to visit her whenever possible. So did Daniel Casanova, finding any medicine she could for her and the others. Claudine survived. She left the Riviera, cured of typhus, sick with dysentery. She could not bear seeing Rosa Flock dying. The young Rosa, arrested for writing Long Live England on a wall near her high school. This is the only reason why she was in Birkenau, and now she was dying and was sent to the crematorium. At that point, all the 31,000 knew the true purpose of the crematoriums. Those were factories of mass murder, designed to kill and burn entire populations, relentlessly. Birkenau ended up breaking her spirit. Still sick, weaker and weaker, Claudine lost her optimism, she lost hope, she lost her will. This is no place for anybody, certainly no place for a 17 years old. Back to the present, she's back at the Riviera. This time, Claudine didn't warn anybody. The 31,000 have no idea where she is. They can't shield her from anything. Germaine Piquant is particularly affected. Claudine couldn't possibly have disappeared. She would have told her. She was always around. Germaine feels responsible. There is nothing she could do. Claudine is all alone. Surrounded by prisoners she doesn't know. Speaking a language she doesn't understand. She asked for help. But she is so weak that she can't be heard. She fades away slowly, painfully. In a few more days, she would have celebrated her 18th birthday.
Thank you for listening to this episode of 31,000-45,000, the story of two trains of French members of the Resistance. My name is Mathieu Landour-Engel. This episode was about Claudine Guérin and the youngest among the 31,000. Life in Birkenau was incredibly difficult and the younger prisoners, being in better health, tended to survive slightly better than the older prisoners. Among the 31,000, none of the prisoners aged 45 and more survived. The younger ones simply had a slightly better odds. But that didn't mean their odds were high, and in the case of women like Claudine Guérin or Rosa Flock, it wasn't enough. They did not survive. The odds for even younger prisoners, I mean teenagers or, or younger, were very low in Auschwitz-Birkenau. Out of the um, 232,000 children up to the age of 18 who arrived by trains, only a slightly more than 23,000 were registered. The other 90% were sent to the gas chambers pretty much right away. Many were part of the evacuations, around 700 remained alive when Auschwitz was freed. A significant number of children were also used for the experimental programs led by Nazi physicists, the most notable being Dr. Joseph Mengele. I will uh, uh, slightly explain this further in another episode. I read that there were around 700 births in Auschwitz-Birkenau, and as I was reviewed by the Museum of Auschwitz, I received very interesting information regarding this matter. According to the notes I received, it seems impossible to establish the total number of children born in Auschwitz since not all of the children born in the camp were noted in the official records and due to the destroyed and incomplete documentation. Although until November 1944, Jewish infants were killed immediately after birth and never registered as prisoners in camp records, for the unknown reasons, Eight Jewish infants were registered and assigned prisoner numbers in 1944. The first such case was noted on February 21, 1944. Jewish children born in the family camp for prisoners from uh, uh, Theresienstadt were not put to death immediately, however, they all perished during the liquidation of the family camp. There is no exact number of children born there, nor the official camp records included children born to the Jewish women confined in the transit camp, B, 2C, and B3. On the other hand, the Sinti and Roma children were noted in the records, and 378 births were noted there. According to available documents of KL Auschwitz and the documents regarding liberation of the camp, there were 680 child prisoners who were born in Kale Auschwitz to Birkenau. Frauenlager or uh, Ziegenerlager. Eight of them were released with from the camp along with their mothers. Only 46 survived until the liberation of the camp, of whom several died afterwards in the Polish Red Cross Hospital on the grounds of the former camp or in Brichis. I am sorry if I uh, pronounced that, uh, that name uh, Incorrectly. I have been trying to find Claudine Guérin's relatives. Unfortunately, my research was unsuccessful. If by any chance you know of someone related to her, please let me know. I would be very pleased to get in touch and make sure the text I wrote doesn't contain any errors. 
My sources for this story mostly come from the book Le Convoi du 24 janvier by Charlotte Delbo, A Train in Winter by Caroline Moorhead. My sources also are Red Triangles in Auschwitz by Claudine cardon amet the website Mémoire Vive, the Foundation for the Memory of Deportation website, and the fantastic website Auschwitz.org. Thank you very much for listening. The next episode will be about Daniel Casanova's importance to the 31,000 and the typhus spread. 31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour-Engel.